Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Okay, welcome everyone. Today is a special live version of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast for those of you who are HW Plus members and can tune in. And my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami. We have a lot to talk about, but first, Logan, I can't let that 49ers jersey go unchallenged. I am, of course, wearing Chiefs gear because if we do happen to meet in the Super Bowl, we know who's going to prevail. It'll be 2020 all over again. Not this time, Sarah. Not with this Niners defense. Or Brock Purdy, which is a Disneyland story about to happen. We will have to see. We'll see. This weekend is going to be a really exciting uh, football weekend either way. And we'll see who prevails. But I do happen to think the Chiefs are going to come out on top. I'm sure you do. <laughs> we might need to have a friendly wager about this. Uh, which uh, we'll, we'll have to figure out what are the appropriate... Uh, what does the winner get? And I don't feel like taking money away from my. I don't feel like taking money away from my boss. So it's it's consider this mercy, uh, not oh this no. year. This is the Niners year. It's not going to be money. We're going to have to do something live on air. Are you kidding me? Okay, well we'll we'll have that discussion later. Let's jump into one of the most exciting days. This whole week has been amazing for economic news. Tell me what happened today on Friday, January twentieth. Well, existing home sales came out today, and. Um, I would I would label 2022 as one of the more historic years ever in U.S. history for housing. Existing home sales started January near 6.5 million. We ended the year near 4 million. I think those who are familiar with my work, I always have a kind of a line in the sand for 4 million monthly sales uh, post-1996. We had so a near 2.5 million sales decline and total inventory just broke under 1 million. Again, so for all the fanatics in the world, the people that I've had to deal with for 11 years who keep on saying housing 2008, who are typically male stock traders on social media sites, we just had the big collapse in sales. And not only is inventory not at 2007 levels, which was a little bit above 4 million, not only is inventory not at 2014 levels, which back then where purchase application data was now was about 2.3 million peak. We are below a million again. And like I've tried to stress for a very long time, homeowners are educated people. They have kids, they go to jobs, they have sex, they're normal human beings. They are not male stock traders who are on leverage and have bad relationships in their life. They don't just sell their house to be homeless. They don't sell their house to do have a housing cost higher than what they have. There's reasons to buy and sell every year. And for 10 years, we've had this downtrend in inventory because homeowners are now doing well and they have 30-year fixed products. So uh, I think hopefully by now, after this year, we can realize that all of these 2008 talks are done by one group of people. They're usually stock traders or anti-central bank people. This is why I challenge them to live debates. I want them on camera. I want their family members to see them. So let me do what I do best, housing economic data, because this is it. Today's the day. We got down to 4 million and we're below a million in inventory. There is no time in history 
that you would believe in this concept unless you visually see it. So there's no more excuses anymore, right? You can't whiff this bad again. Let that period go. It's over. Okay, so you've been talking about that we could get to this level for a couple of months. Is this sooner than you thought we'd get there? Is this about right? What What do you think? Usually, the inventory channels by December or January is to the low. So what we've seen in the in the NAR reports is that we saw a peak and inventory had been uh, falling. The seasonal drive lower. Uh, so it pretty much looks how it looks like every single year. It's just that we never got the push in inventory in 2022 that some people thought. And a lot of this goes back to the end of June. Uh, when mortgage rates got to 6%, six and a quarter percent, what we started to see in the data, remember, reading is a good thing. The history of the world has never looked good upon people who believe in burning books instead of reading them, right? And we saw this every single week. New listings data started to decline faster than normal. It wasn't the professional grift of, hey, home sale, people are just going to run and sell their house and get out at any cost. No. If you are soft, it doesn't mean homeowners are soft, right? New listing data declined. That is also a demand hit, right? A traditional seller is a traditional buyer of a home, 75 to 82% of the time. People do not sell to be homeless. I don't know who convinced you people this, but... I just know. So new listing data declined, waterfall dive in demand. Guess what happened in 2020? When new listings data declined, we saw a waterfall demand to 4 million, right? Here we are again. It took the whole year to get here, right? So why I always say new listings data growth, growing inventory is a positive. Why? Because sellers put their homes on the market, they sell, and then they buy another house. That is demand, right? So we have to train our thoughts that, when inventory levels start to get so low and sellers don't list, that is a demand hit. And we saw that, you know, that's why you see this waterfall collapse in demand. So you don't have the move up buyer, the move up seller who buys. Then you have the biggest mortgage rate increase in history. You get a vacuum in demand. And that's what we saw. But it doesn't mean that everyone rushes to the marketplace to sell. So there's no more excuses. Here it is. We are at 2007 or 2008 levels in sales, and inventory is 3.2 million lower. Don't make me do the Pulp Fiction. I dare you. I double dare you to do the 2008 thing with me again. This is why I want you on camera. This is why I want your kids and your families to see this. You are not housing economists. You're not data analysts. You're fraudulent professional grifters, right? That's why I can do this live on TV. Right? But let me get you so I could counteract every miserable housing crash, collapse, thought process that we've done for 11 years now. Demand can collapse. Inventory rising needs a lot of different variables to come at once. They were not here. Why? Because homeowners are in a very good spot. And this happened well before pre-COVID, right? We are going to evolve as a human species. We're not going to talk about mortgage rate lockdown, total cost lockdown, Right, people don't say, "Oh, I have a two thousand dollar mortgage. I'm going to go and get a five thousand dollar mortgage, even though I don't need it." Doesn't work that way. This is a long term issue with the housing market that we've had to deal with. So, get off of that. Let two thousand eight go. I know it was your fantasy dream year, but it's just not here. And by the way, jobless claims one hundred ninety thousand this last week. The American honey badger labor market is still at it again. So. A lot to talk about this week. 
I'm glad people can see you do that because when you're listening to a podcast, you're probably like, what is that sound? This is the sound of Logan Unleashed where he hits himself, he claps, he jumps up and down, he goes back and forth in his chair. And so, you know, I... I know our producers are like, please stay in one place, but this is why you're great on camera. Sarah Wheeler, think of me as a strong safety and I see a soft, overrated tight end coming down the middle. And if I know I can knock his ass down, he's not coming down the middle to catch a ball ever again. That's kind of how I operate day to day out. This is why I always challenge people live because all I see is people who talk a lot of smack and then we just, let's go. But we did have Mohanad Amma, and he did great. He he came on. We really appreciated him coming on to debate you live. That was an awesome thing. We'll see if anybody else steps up. But first, I want to go back to tying this into your housing market tracker that you're doing every Monday and what we saw on inventory there, because you're looking at inventory in a different way there than what you just said about you know a, a, a million homes, so under a million homes. So tell us how those things track together. So Altos Research is the best inventory tracker data out there in America. And uh, I was extremely happy that he's now part of the Housing Wire team. So I thought the best way to teach economics or to teach people is to get a weekly inventory tracker data, tie it to what the bond market is doing, and basically take what uh, uh, how housing economics looks like through purchase application data, because purchase application data is forward-looking. Right. This has always worked since the 1990s. The problem is that it's grueling, economic, boring work and nobody wants to do it. Right. So I thought, okay, this is the time now that we can do a weekly tracker. So what happened uh, this last week? Purchase application data saw a 25% week to week. Now, remember the seasonality of purchase application data, second week of January to the first week of May. In a normal time, that's where the volume rises, if there is volume. If there is no volume, it could keep on going down, right? There is, there is no, there's no uh, uh, code to this. We saw this in 2013 and 14, right? Volumes keep on going lower because rates were too high back then. So we keep an eye on this every single week. And just remember, context is critical. We had a historical waterfall dive in this data line. Anybody who's saying that, well, okay, it's got to keep on going lower, has to take this down to the 1990 levels. It can happen, right? If there's no demand, there's no reason people should be applying for mortgages. Well, since November 9th, if you know how to read the purchase application data, you look at the internal data and you compare them to what's going on, it actually started to stabilize back in November 9th. And every single week, as mortgage rates kept on going uh, uh, lower, things started to stabilize. And then now we're in the seasonality period. So I caution everyone, be careful with reading any volume growth that we see here because it's wiped, we wiped out seven years of this index in less than a year, right? So that is the mother of low bar. So we take it one week at a time. We take purchase application data, bond markets, inventory. Then we take all the economic data that we have in the week and we look forward to see what happens. And right now, a big thing for me is those of you who have read the tracker know that I said the 10-year yield at 3.42. It's just a really tough line in the sand, right? So even though bond yields went below that, I think we even got 10 basis points below that, we couldn't close and get more bond buying technicals. Uh, people uh, uh, were short the bond market. They're, they, they're, in, they're in pain. It reversed, right? That's why I always talk about, I think some of you that have followed me over the years, these key technical levels in the bond market, it didn't break. So bond yields have reversed right there. That looks about normal. So this doesn't mean that the longer term outlook of inflation or anything changes. But as of right now, we've had a very big move 
from four and a quarter all the way down to 3.32. But going out in the future, the growth rate of inflation should slow. The Federal Reserve is near the end of their rate hikes. And then we just follow jobless claims because that's 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 the meal ticket money uh, economic data line. As long as claims stay low, the Fed's not going to do anything. Once jobless claims, four-week moving average, 323,000. I did not make that number up out of thin air. I take job openings where unemployment rates is, where claims are going to go. And if, if we get to that level, the labor market is broken. And this follows every single recession that we've seen uh, post-World War II. So we're not at there that stage yet. Remember, job openings, 10 million guy here, right? The labor market dynamics are different now. There's parts of our economy that actually resemble what Japan and Germany are doing, uh, countries that can be technically in uh, uh, recessions, but not a lot of uh, unemployment, just because most people are working and the baby boomers are sailing away. You love to stick it to the baby boomers. They're either old and slow or they're dying off. That's what you you love to say. But before... Okay, go ahead. Talk about baby boomers. I'm just, I'm just saying there, there's some people that just, you know, cranky, always complaining. The Fed, the Fed, the Fed, and the time is gone. Right? You had your time. It's time for Gen X to actually start leading the millennials and Gen Z, and tell the baby boomers, take your one gold piece, go fishing, something. Just call it quits, man. Just forget it. Right? You had your time, you've complained, you missed the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history, you missed the COVID-19 and you will sit here until your last breath and complain about the Federal Reserve and America and everything. This country has shown you its true power. Okay, well, let's. Um, you talked about bond rates, and last time we were on this podcast, we did talk about the uh, what happened in Japan and how that was affecting bond rates. But translate that to mortgage rates specifically. What are we seeing this week? What do you expect to see next week? So mortgage rates got all the way down to six point zero four percent this week, but I uh, I would imagine we're probably going to uh, get up to near six and a quarter uh, or somewhere up there uh, today. Uh, a bond yield technical officer. I'm a I'm a bond market guy. I am not a mortgage backed security guy or anything like that. I don't target. I just look at the ten year yield. That's how I've always done it. You look at all my forecasts for 2015. We just work off channels, and as of right now, the ten year yield did not was not able to break that. 3.42. Once in a while, I'll bring off Gandalf when he says, you shall not pass, right? That's why I used it for this area because I said, this is a really tough area to break. And we tried, right? We tried to break it. Uh, um, the PPI inflation data that I told people to keep an eye on for this week, that came in lower than estimates. So a lot of the growth rate of inflation data are coming down, but that level still stuck. So for right now, just keep an eye on that. If we can close below 3.42%, get follow through buying, we go down to that kind of, we have the potential of getting down to that low level that I talked about in the 2023 forecast, which would be about 2.72%. Uh, there's where your 5% mortgages, possibly if the spreads get better, could get below uh, 5%. But as of right now, listen, it, it is it as good as you could possibly want, especially going back to last October when people are talking about eight to ten percent mortgages for the spring season, you know the housing market is 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 done. It's finished because you know the Fed is going to destroy America because that's what they're supposed to do, I guess. Uh, no, it wasn't the case. Uh, the growth rate of inflation peaked back then, so everything looks the same. I I, I what I what I try to emphasize to people uh, uh, in the academic world: if you look at 
PCE inflation, personal consumer expenditures. That's what the Federal Reserve wants to go on. They want that back down to 2%. If you look at the month-to-month data, by the time we get to the end of this year, we should have a three-handle on that. So what the 10-year yield is doing is uh, pretty much in line in in that context. It's really the two-year yield. I know this is getting my geeky stuff. The two-year yield is saying the Fed's done hiking rates. Uh, so you want to keep an eye on that and see where the bond market is, is telling you. If they're done hiking rates, there's, they're now talking about cutting rates. Don't don't look out that far, but keep an eye on that two-year yield. If it doesn't go to 5%, the bond market is saying you don't need to get up there. right? The Fed, in theory, should be done. There should be no more rate hikes. Just let it stay because they even themselves talked about, we want to stop rate hikes so we don't have to cut sooner. Listen to your own advice. Come on, right? Okay, it's the, the, the history of inflation, right? We have these really big spikes like we did in the 1970s. But if rent inflation doesn't take off, you can't have those spikes again, right? I mean, that's just the history of growth rate of inflation. We've seen this for decades and decades. There's no way you could have accelerated or entrenched inflation without uh, shelter inflation. This is why the article I wrote yesterday for Housing Wire, housing completions, yes. Get those apartments up and going. Why? Because the best way to deal with inflation is to add more supply because that supply stays there. If you're trying to defeat inflation by demand destruction, what eventually does is that it impacts the future production. That's not the most effective way. So thankfully, we have 943,000 apartments uh, under construction. That will also help with the growth rate of inflation. Something I talked about on September on CNBC that by January and February, it's going to be Really noticeable to everyone that the growth rate of inflation is already coming down for rents. The early data lines are picking this up. The CPI data will lag. It'll, it might even take all the way to October for this to even realize. Uh, but the Fed, thankfully, has decided to take the shelter inflation out of the equation because of the lag, and they created their own index. That's a positive. That is a positive. So let's talk about um, so you're talking about inflation. The Fed. Let's talk. Uh, we recently talked and you wrote about a soft landing for housing. So tell me what you think, what this means for housing, which went into a recession in June. And then what does this mean for the overall economy, which you have your six recession red flags up, but in your opinion, the economy has not gotten into a recession yet. Are we going to have a soft landing for housing? What does that look like? And are we going to have an overall economic recession? So the six recession red flag is a progression model to teach people economic cycles post-World War II. They've all traditionally looked the same. Uh, COVID-19 has ruined a lot of data lines. They've made it extreme where you have very high velocity, positive data. You're going to see really negative data, and then it's going to eventually find its middle. And the middle is going to be normal again. We're just kind of working our way then. August 5th, the six recession red flag is up. June 16th, the, the housing market went in recession. A recession to me is... Production goes down, sales go down, jobs go down, incomes go down, right? That's the housing market. To avoid a a hard landing or anything in that matter, two things needed to happen since I wrote uh, wrote that with every single uh, economic cycle piece. The growth rate of inflation needs to fall and bond yields need to fall, right? What's happened? Growth rate of inflation is falling, bond yields are falling. If that continues, the one sector of the economy that's really important is housing, right? That can stabilize. This is not like COVID-19 where we had this waterfall drop in the V-shaped recovery. It's a different marketplace, right? Because affordability is an issue. We're not talking about 3% rates before home prices took off. We're talking about 6% mortgage rates after home prices have took it. It's a much different uh, market than then. But stabilization first, 
the builder's confidence index has gone positive off a very deep dive. Purchase application data is rising off a very deep dive. Mortgage rates are falling from an extreme high. We have to first find that stabilization. That's why the weekly tracker is created. And then we'll take it from there because everything else is still moving along. Consumption is still good. Uh, jobless claims, 190K. You typically want to be not, don't take January jobless claims too seriously. But again, still, uh, we're historic lows. People are working. People are getting paid. Wage growth is still very good. Uh, people, they, there's this chart that goes on. Well, personal savings rate is below COVID and credit card debt. Do not become a stock trader economic person, right? Nominal credit card debt goes with every single expansionary. It's when it detracts, right, that uh, you're in a recession. So during this whole period of time since January, we had people tell us we're in a recession by giving us data lines that were actually positive. They don't know why. They don't read. Reading is a good thing, right? Um, we still have roughly $900 billion of excess savings uh, from COVID-19. So even though the personal savings rate is below there's still excess money in the system. That's actually one of the things the Federal Reserve says. It's difficult to get inflation down with so much excess savings. So be careful of reading that chart. Over time, the Fed rate hikes do impact the economy. It tends to lag. The net interest costs to, to consumers gets too much. If demand falls, you'll see your recession through jobless claims rising. You don't get jobless claims rising, you're not going to get your job loss recession, right? And we're basically at that point. So as of right now, we're still healthy. We're still good. Job openings over 10 million. Claims are still low. If that goes out the whole year, there's no recession coming in. So two things that I were looking for that I needed wasn't about rate cuts yet, but the growth rate of inflation is falling. Bond yields are falling. If housing could just stabilize from here, get a little bit of an uptick, right? That'll be a positive for the U.S. economy. Um, but housing and tech recessionary in this sense, but people say, well, Amazon is laying off 18,000 people and Microsoft is laying down 11. There's 155 million people working. Okay. So uh, what traditionally happens with tech company people is that they tend to find jobs and don't even apply for unemployment benefits. This is why you've seen all these tech layoffs and unemployment claims don't really rise too much. Uh, they tend to find work right away. This is why the job openings data is critical as well. Uh, it's when the service sector, when when retail sales and things get really weak, uh, that you start to see the layoffs in the retail sales industry. This is why traditionally low low service sector workers tend to have the highest unemployment rates. You keep an eye on that. But as of right now, we're still good, right? So keep an eye. That's part of the tracker is jobless claims every single week. Continuing claims that was rising the last six months of the year has slowly have stopped and started to go down. So these are all positive. We don't want to be in a situation where we root for a recession for rates to go down. Now, we have to evolve ourselves, right? We just had the longest economic and job expansion in recorded history. We had the COVID-19 recovery. These are positives. You don't need to kill jobs to get the growth rate of inflation to come down, right? We're seeing wage growth already slow down. We're seeing inflation and the labor market is tight. We just keep this going, going and get the supply back on. We got this, but one week at a time for this. One week at a time. And I will put in a plug for our February 6th uh, HW Plus Market Update, which it features you. It features Mike Simonson from Altos. It features Odetta Cushy from First American, Lisa Sturdivant from Bright MLS. That's going to be a great discussion. That's on February 6th. And of course, people can read your um, 2023 forecast. So I have a reader uh, or a listener question 
for you. So, um, you know, I put this, we put this out on social and I was like, tell me what you want me to ask, uh, Logan. So aside from your hair products, which was requested, um, I do have a housing related one. And this is from Ryan, um, Lundquist, who's the Sacramento appraisal. He, he writes the Sacramento appraisal blog. He's actually been on this blog with me. He's a great guy. And he asked me, you know, he asked me to ask you what rate, you know, at what rate do you feel like you're going to really see the tipping point for buyers to come back in? So I guess you would say that's a stabilized market. So what what mortgage rate is that? So what we saw last year is that when rates went from six and a quarter to five percent, uh, buyers started to come back in the marketplace. The issue was that that didn't stay very long. We we went from five to seven point three seven percent, and the thing is, last year. It was sloppy, right? We resemble the third world country where inflation is rampant, the, the, the monetary policies, rates just go crazy. People can't really operate in that environment. So I was looking for kind of that 5.375 to 5.75, right? Because I'm just staying with my work going all the way back to 2013. My affordability indexes all get shot with rates over 5.875. This was actually a talking point of mine in 2019 going into years 2020, the the big focal point of a lot of my economic work. If you could get rates down to 5.375 and stay there, right? You need duration. You need people to make choices because they can't sit there and think, okay, should we move now? And then all of a sudden, oh, rates went from five and a quarter to seven to come. No, I forget it, right? We need stability in rates. Whether it's at six and a quarter, five and a quarter, four point four point seven nine, it has to move a little bit more slowly so people can make choices. One of the things that I didn't like to see already, you know, the, the Redfin's data showing new listings data down twenty percent year over year using twenty twenty two comps. Right again, we I, I am so pro inventory because that means sellers are feel comfortable about selling their homes and then buying another one. And then you get a functioning housing market. We got to a point to where inventory was so low that it just shows that people were moving. Now, you could also make a case that people just don't want to move. I mean, this is my whole talking point for many years, that people just don't move as much. Uh, People can't move as much anymore. There's no more exotic loan debts to facilitate that kind of moving. So people are doing fine. And that's just a function of housing demand that we don't really talk about. But when rates get lower, traditionally you get people that sell and buy, and, and that, that's what we want. We just had our first authentic rate shock um, in history, and uh, the, the sellers that traditionally buy just kind of backed off on that. So I'm hoping we get more inventory, hoping to get back to 2019 levels. That would be my joy. But the one positive, the one great thing I saw today in the existing home sales report is days on market. I'm a, such a days on market guy. You put that on my grave. Days on market now is 26 days. That is good. Nothing good happens in the housing market when days on market is a teenager or below that. Nothing good happens. That means you just don't have enough product uh, and then you get forced bidding, you get accelerating prices. All of that is bad news in my mind. But days on market is 26. And I want to emphasize that's what the Federal Reserve wanted too. Right, my whole savagely unhealthy housing market in February of 2020. The Fed housing reset in March was days on market were too low. The buying process was was too chaotic. People were buying homes without contingencies. The Federal Reserve saw that as a detriment to the housing market, and they're going to keep a track on that in the future. So anybody from the NAR that's listening should tell your agents that's not a good thing. 
right? That's now a weapon for them to say, hey, this is not a positive sign for the housing market. So days on market at 26 days, we get above 30, we get back to normal, right? And normal sellers would get inventory up and then people just go back to a B&B housing market, boring and balanced. So I know you want the B&B housing market, but we'll have to see as 2023 plays out what the new what the new moniker, what the new theme is. It has been savagely unhealthy. Now we have to see what is it going to be for 2023? Any ideas there? I, I'm, I'm loving the days on market at 26. I, I am just, I'm jumping for joy. Uh, when, when weekly inventory, I know it wasn't a lot. It was like the, almost 1,400 homes. When weekly inventory grew, I was like, yes, right? Um, so the things that I'm looking for, I, the way I look at housing is much different than everything. And let's be honest, housing is marketed on prices and crashing and this and all that. That's just, that's just how it is, right? But as a, as a data person, as an economics person, we just look at we want a functioning housing market. So days on market at 26, excellent. Get inventory growth, right? The seasonality, we always get inventory rising into spring. Let's get that process. We get back to a normal housing market. Okay, the the fear was prep prep. I mean, the fear was always that all of a sudden inventory was going to spike up like 2008, even though we have no credit deterioration. Well, reading is a good thing, right? If you, anybody just read the data, they'd go, wow, that's not happening. But for some reason, the biggest bearish American citizens who resemble Russian trolls to me have always pushed this narrative. So people like us and a few others decided it's time to fight back, right? With math, facts, and data, right? And when you see credit deterioration, it comes noticeably. It's not there, right? So people don't sell to be homeless. So I I am very happy with how we have started the year so far. Uh, I couldn't have asked for anything better. I Hopefully we get more inventory going in the spring because then I think sellers are going, hey, we're good. The new listings data from Redfin is, is, is four-week moving average. So hopefully the in fact, our rates have come in a little bit lower. We can get more sellers and then back to normal. That's why the weekly tracker is created to look current and forward, not backwards, right? Today's data, the December uh, is still old and slow. It's backward looking. The market has changed. If rates were still high and purchase application data looks terrible, we still have that downtrend going, but that has changed since November 9th. You don't hear this conversation. Why? Because everybody's just talking about home prices falling and everything. And right underneath their eyes, they forgot to read and look at the internals of the data. And it was stabilizing right there. And now people are like, oh, purchase application data is up. Well, just keep a weekly tracker of it. You get it. You don't want to be old and slow, right? When the market turns. Remember, uh, Sarah, remember in 2020, COVID-19 recovery, America's back April 7th, right? We, I gave dates for people to track and data lines to track. Even when that was the case, people wouldn't believe me. August, oh, home sales are going to be positive. Tomatoes, cabbages, everything thrown at me. It ended up positive. Why? Because the forward-looking indicators were having the sharpest rebound ever recorded in U.S. history. This is why we believe in reading. We're here, the weekly tracker, to show you this because it's numbers, right? We can't make anything up. If they're negative, they're negative. If they're positive, they're positive. But this is the proper way to look at housing since the Peloponnesian. Since the po- thank you for throwing that in there, our audience needed that. Um, yes, the weekly tracker comes out every Monday. Twenty seconds. Tell us what your products are for your hair. Nothing. Just born this way. Not true. There's no I way. No, there's. I, listen, my, my, I, I am blessed with my 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 grandfather on my mother's side had the whole Persian Clark Gable thing. 
The only thing I've ever done for my hair is that I saw a hair commercial and somebody was selling biotin. So I thought, what if I took the most strongest dose of biotin? Because I don't need it. But what would happen? I, I, I've tried that. I don't think it's done anything. But uh, there's nothing. It's just All right. Well, that's, that's the last word we'll have for today. Logan, thanks for being on. Thanks for being a good sport. Answer that question. And um, you know what? Everyone, thanks for listening. Um, we will talk to you again soon. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.